Professor Forever. Last week I was talking about work and how certain types of people find it difficult to adapt to work the way it's set up in the American system. Of course, there are many places to live that provide way less resources than America. I'm not saying this is the worst place to live, even if you are eccentric. And we have systems in place for those who are unemployed and underemployed, right? The Social Security, we have welfare. But if a person wants to have a survivable wage, they do, in America, have to fit into a certain section of the game of work. I was also talking last week about how people in service industries are treated poorly, oftentimes. Why is that? I imagine part of it is this phantom idea brought over to America about the ruling class You know, people had servants who cleaned their house. People had servants, a lower class, that took care of their horses. Well, when they came here, they took care of our cars. Once cars became the replacement for the horse. I suppose this is some part of why people are treated poorly. I do believe we have, and I'm using this term just for purposes of understanding my point, a caste system in America. There is one. I know it's not nice to think about, and people find it deplorable to use that term, but I think when we admit things, then that's the first step to facing them and maybe making them a little better. Not only do people who work in service industries get treated poorly, they often treat themselves poorly for working at places like that. When I graduated from college, I couldn't find a quote-unquote real job quickly, so I took a job at a gas station. One day, I was working the window at the gas station, and a man I graduated with graduated from high school with, came up to the window to pay for his gas. When he saw me, he was happy. He was smiling. He recognized me. And he came up to pay and he said, Hi, Lisa. How, how's it going? And for some reason, I immediately said, I'm not Lisa. He said, What? 
What do you mean? Now, this person had gone to school with me and been in the same classes for about eight years. We actually graduated very close in rank to each other. Of course he knew that I was Lisa. Anyway, I said, I'm not Lisa. My name is Bernadette. We stared at each other for a moment, and then it dawned upon him why I was saying what I was saying. And he looked a little sad. He realized that the reason I was responding that way was because I was ashamed of where I was working. He gave me the money and he said, I hope you're doing all right, Lisa. What if someone doesn't even want to work, who's born here, placed into this system where you have to do certain things in order to survive and thrive. I suppose many people would call that lazy, people who don't want to work or don't fit into this system that's been set up. Why is someone called lazy if they don't want to play the game of work in this country? I know one reason why, the Puritans. I wrote a poem a couple of decades ago titled, Fuck, Screw the Pilgrims. I just edited my title. <laughs> the Pilgrims were the separatist Puritans who came to this country for religious freedom. They believed that a person had to work very hard in this life in order to be one of the elect to make it into heaven. The Bible warns against idle hands. So, the Puritans didn't really believe in leisure and laziness. It was a sin. Somehow, that ethic has stayed strong in this country for more than 400 years. Despite separation of church and state, through classism, through extreme cycles of wealth and poverty. If you don't believe me, read Max Weber. He'll tell you all about Puritanism and how it forged this country's system of economy and work. There are moves happening in this country as far as work is concerned. There is a movement known as post-workism. Now, if you think that alternatives to work are evil, that's fine. You can take that perspective. But don't forget to look at the evils of the way we work as well, where work has gotten to. There's still discrimination. I mean, the employer at will idea is very discriminatory. We overwork, thus 
making it more difficult to spend time with friends and family. We've come into a system of part-time jobs that don't give people benefits that they need for working. Stress limits are way off the charts, unlike any seen before in the history of work in this country. So there are problems with the way that we work today. These should be thought about when you're thinking about post-work, which I'm going to tell you about right now. What is post-work? Well, it's a futuristic worldview that people will not work in the future. Who drives this movement? Well, philosophers have predicted it since the mid-19th century. Um, professors write about it history professors, business professors, social science professors. Millennials are the ones driving it, I think. Everything moves in stages. There was a time when we worked a lot, way more than we work now, right? Technology has allowed us not to work so much, but it has also taken away our exercise. But, so, We've gotten to a point where we don't work too much. I mean, like from crack of dawn till late in the evening. And we're gonna keep changing the way that we work as we evolve in the industrial age. Other countries don't work as much as we do. They might be a little ahead of us on the curve. Millennials, are the individuals in this country, in my opinion, who are saying, hey, this working yourself to death, sometimes not even for a living wage, is not something that is going to work for me. They see that the work system has become something that doesn't seem very workable, if you will. These people are looking to other alternatives for work. Echo villages is a good example of this. People are coming together. Oftentimes these movements, the echo villages, are hinged on taking care of the earth as well. They come together and they decide by consensus, not vote, which is a different thing, how they're going to run their community. They have their own systems of fiat and currency. They work together, they work to survive, and they barter. I remember talking about bartering about a decade ago and a friend said, yeah, I don't think that's gonna replace what we do in America, working for money. Well, you know what? It's popping up in many places. Think about the groups on social media that have sprung up that barter services for products. This is a go-to in these echo villages. If you're interested in learning about these echo villages, like I was, um, Dancing Rabbit is a really good example of an echo village that has been around for decades 
and works pretty well. Some of you might be thinking, well, that's very extreme. And I don't want to be shut off in a commune away from other people. Actually, the people that run these echo villages are very open to new people coming in with new ideas. And they want other communities that have formed to get together with them and make larger communities. It's something that's coming. So you can say that these changes are not coming. You can fight these changes that are coming. You can adapt to these changes that are coming. You can start some new alternatives for work as we know it. All of these are great ideas. Whatever you do, whatever you want to do, as long as you are doing something and you aren't hurting anybody, that's a great point of living. Take it upon yourself to get thinking and think about these changes that are happening. I think it's a good thing. I talked about a scene from Mini Mart Massacre last week. The screenplay I wrote about being treated poorly at a gas station. I said that Max, the gas station manager, had gone crazy from people treating him poorly, lost his mind, and started killing customers. I described a scene where it was night and he went out, Max went out with his axe, saw a customer standing at the pump. And of course the customer grabs the nozzle and squeezes the trigger hoping, hoping to uh, flood Max with gas so he will start to you know, back away. He holds, the customer holds the handle up, squeezes the trigger, and one little drop comes out of the nozzle. Max laughs maniacally and says, Ha ha ha, it's pre-pay. Then he goes on to kill many more people in the gas station community. And eventually, he ends up being overcome and killed by, you know what? Why don't you decide who kills Max? Who do you think should take revenge on a person who has been driven to insanity because of the iron cages that he has been thrust into because of his life in a particular place? at a particular time. I'd love to hear your thoughts about work and service industry and post-work. Write them down. Thanks for listening. Get thinking. She's got no lessons planned for me Because she's not that fancy She's a professor forever Professor forever